And uh, <laughs> Lest, Lester is a legend. This is our youth and young adults pastor. Lester has been serving in this house for many years uh, in many different capacities. And I just want to say we love you so much, bro. We honor you. We thank you so much for the incredible work that you do amongst many people in the church, specifically amongst our youth. And so I'm just so excited that you get to preach this morning and you're a phenomenal preacher. And so could we give a huge round of applause for Lest as he takes us away? Come, come on. Come on, come on. Uh, I'm really, 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 really excited. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I'm just going to say it up front. Um, like I said, I am youth and young adults, so I love people with energy. So I'm going to be giving a lot of energy. I'm going to need a lot back online, even in the comment section. I'm going to try to make sure the camera guys can stay with me this time. And apparently in the morning I was, I was walking around a lot. But hey, man, I just want to take a moment and just pause, man. It's so good to see everyone's faces. I think we, we kind of come to a moment like this and we just kind of like, cool, church, and we kind of move on. What a joy it is to meet together like this. Uh, like I said, man, this is the house of God. And as these people, we get to meet. Like there's so many people across the world who just want this, who just want to meet and be encouraged by different people. And I just want to encourage us maybe to pause and just enjoy this moment. Because what I think can so easily happen is, Sunday lunch is coming, and we can so think about that, and Saturday is a great day to decompress, but Sunday is like this weird family moment, but gearing up for work, and what we do is we, we make this day just go by so quickly, but it's a day where we say, hey, we're setting time aside to get into God's Word, be in His presence. So, man, we're currently in a series, a mini-series. Man, we've been in the book of Acts the whole year. How good has it been? Thank you. It's been so good. I've really enjoyed it, man. I think it's so cool that we can just stick in God's Word. I'm not going to lie. I'm getting so much FOMO right now. I really wish. I don't know if you guys can hear our uh, kids' ministries are having some serious fun right now. That's usually where I am on a Sunday, so they're probably doing the monkey right now. And I'm <laughs> but it's cool. I enjoy being with you guys. It's going to be fun. Um, where was I? We're currently in a mini-series called Unknown Heroes, and throughout Scripture, we have different people that have done amazing things for God. But how many of you know, we know Paul, we know Peter, we know the disciples, maybe not all of them, but we know, the, we know a few of them. We know David, we know about what Gideon did, we know about Samson did, but the Bible is peppered. <laughs> so much more. The Bible is peppered with just uh, different people that uh, made a stand for God and lived their lives dedicated to God. They might not have many chapters written about them, but how many of you know that their names are written in heaven? Because they were people that took the call and the mission of God seriously. And what I think can so easily happen is we look to the people on stage and we go, cool, those are the phenomenal people of God. But God is calling everyday people to do extraordinary things. People might not know your name and what you've done, but heaven knows. That how crazy is it that one day we could potentially be in heaven, might not be on stage, there might not be a billboard with your, your name on it, but standing in the line and just seeing generations of people that came to know Jesus through your faithfulness and stepping out and saying, I love Jesus and I want to tell other people about him. So that is the life of Priscilla and Aquila. We're going to unpack it together. Just a little bit of context before we jump into it. Priscilla and Aquila are a couple so they married. They mentioned four times in Scripture. We're going to be in Acts. They mentioned in Romans, Second Timothy, uh, Second uh, Chronic, not Chronicles, Corinthians. There we go. Um, but I'm going to dive into Acts chapter 18. We're going to read from verse one onwards, and this is what it says: After this, 
Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had made a command, all, commanded all Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. Because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So he reasoned in the synagogue every Saturday, every Sabbath, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for this time that we can just come together. And God, I pray that right now, that as we reflect on your word, God, I pray that we wouldn't just be puffed up on knowledge, but God, I pray that you would penetrate our minds, that we'd have a clear understanding. God, speak to our hearts, that we'd be driven by a deep conviction. God, I pray that our hands would be used by you to God and make an impact for your namesake. God, I thank you for the life of Priscilla and Aquila and how they modeled what you are calling us all to do. So God, I pray for everyone in this room right now that they would not leave the same way they came in. I pray these things in your precious name and all God's good-looking people said. Amen. Amen. So just a little bit of context because I think context really helps us to understand what we're reading. So as we saw in the scripture that we see we have a couple, we have Priscilla and we've got Aquila. Priscilla was the woman. Uh, she was of Latin, her name is of Latin origin. So we know that she was a Roman citizen. And she was also a Gentile. A Gentile, for those of us who might be new to church, is someone that was not a Jew. Then we've got Aquila. He was born a Jew. So he would have grown up around the Old Testament, old teachings. Priscilla being a Gentile would not have been, she wouldn't have known a lot of the Old Testament teachings. But we see this couple are married and they're staying in Rome together. Claudius makes a decree kicking out all the Jews out of Rome. This couple then pack up all their stuff and they leave. And I just wanted to pause for a moment because we are trying to help our young people understand this. That, and Institute does such a great job of this as well. Is that we read text and we go, okay, cool. That happened and then that happened. And, okay, cool. That makes sense. But I want to pause for a second. This couple were tent makers by trade. Tent makers back in biblical times, they were well-off people. They did really well financially. They probably had a home. They had family. They were... They, Put their roots deep down in Rome. And then they called to leave all of that. They kicked out. And they just go. How many of you know that's not a fun moment? To have every stability in your life just being taken away from you. And now just going like, cool, we're going to another place. But I love how the text doesn't tell us about how Priscilla and Aquila were grumbling. How Priscilla and Aquila, like just, God, what are you doing? How could you do this? It's just speaks about how they went. I don't know about you. I'm sure you guys are a little bit more spiritual than I am. But I kick my toe on the bed, and I'm like, Lord, why is this happening to me? Like, this is just going to be a bad day. Why have you forsaken me, Father? Like, this sucks right now. I'm like, anything that has to do, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not speaking to you, God. Not today. My toe, it hurts. But here we see a couple completely uprooted, but their eyes still fixed. Their gaze still fixed on what Jesus is doing. And what we'll see as we continue this passage, that to them, there was, there was no understanding of what was happening. It just kind of felt like God had deserted them. But in God's, again, we can't sing God is all-knowing, the way maker, the promise keeper, he, and say things like he's omnipotent, meaning he knows all things, but they're not truly believe that. Because what they didn't know is, at the same time as they were making their way to Corinth, 
Paul, who was in Greece, was leaving Greece, also making his way to Corinth. And as they meet together, Paul then had a place to stay, and he was able to do his trade with them. So what seemed like a random act, God was working together because in doing so, Priscilla and Aquila provided a place for Paul to stay so that he could go out into different synagogues and reason with people. People's lives would be drawn towards Jesus because Priscilla and Aquila created a safe space where Paul could relay his head and also finance to feel what he was doing. You might not see the beginning from the end. You might not always understand what God is doing, but I want to encourage, I feel like as I was prepping this, I really felt like that's a word for some people in the room today. That if we're honest, even in a moment of worship, those songs are sometimes hard to sing. In a moment of honesty, it just seems like they're nice words and a nice melody. But I want to encourage you, worship is us declaring truth. And the truth is this, that Jesus is always working. When we don't see it, we don't feel it, he's still in control. That there's nothing that can remove you from the palm of God's hand. That this is a, sin, a sinful and a broken world, but that doesn't stop our God from consistently being good. And I want you to hold on to that. It doesn't make sense, but God, we trust you. We, fa- fa- we keep our eyes and our, our gaze fixed on who you are. So here's this couple. A little bit of background on who they are. So what made them unsung heroes? Firstly, they hosted Paul. But one thing they did really well is they understood the Great Commission. Now, for some of us who have been in church for a long time, you would have heard this phrase thrown around. I cringe at it, but it's really important. So it's not the great suggestion. It's the great commandment. It's not a, if you have time, maybe you should do this. Oh, maybe when things aren't busy, you should do this. No, it's a call for all of us. If you're someone in this room that would consider yourself a Christian, this is what God's calling you to. And this is what Priscilla and Aquila understood, that God was calling them to this. Jesus, before he leaves the earth, speaks his final words to his disciples, and he says this. Let's read together in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus said, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as we're reading this verse, there's many things that happen. There's a moment of being discipled, and then it's a moment of teaching people, being baptized, and going and doing the same. So if you're taking notes, like Sai mentioned, man, we encourage you to take notes. Because when we come to a moment like this, God's word is spoken. Writing it down helps us to remember what was said, but also what happens is you get so caught up on one particular moment that you forget that God is speaking throughout the preach. So it's just helpful to go back and revisit what God has said. So if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, point number one is this, they were discipled. Priscilla and Aquila were discipled. We read in Acts chapter 18 verse 11, it says this, and he being Paul stayed here in six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul stayed with Priscilla and Aquila for 18 months. Now, if you don't know who Paul is, Paul says of himself that he was a very zealous man, that he got shipwrecked. It didn't stop him from going and telling people about Jesus. He was thrown in prison. That didn't stop him from going and telling people about Jesus. I don't see Paul being someone that would be out in the streets reasoning and telling people about Jesus and then coming back home with Priscilla and Aquila and be like, guys, let's just, let's just chill tonight. I'm pretty sure for those 18 months, they got a serious download about who Jesus was. 
Priscilla, being a Gentile, she wouldn't have known. Paul's like, yes, great opportunity. Let me tell you about the Old Testament and how Jesus came to fulfill it. You know what, Aquila, you're a Jew. You would have understood these things. Let me show you how Jesus was the coming Messiah that we've been longing for. So every night as they met together, here was Paul pouring all of what he knew about Jesus to them. Discipleship is so important. Now, I know as I say that, for many of us, we'll know that word and we'll understand it. But it is pretty much a churchy term. What is discipleship? What is it really? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's going to be my next sub point. What is discipleship? By definition, the word disciple is a learner. It is someone who follows a master and learns from a master. I want to say that again. It's someone that is learning and following from a master. Discipleship is not something that is done in isolation. It is not cool. I'm going to sit off in the corner and I'm going to grow by myself. No, discipleship is the idea of coming alongside people and having people pour into you and equip you around what? Who God is, who God's calling you to be, and how to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Discipleship is so important. But I think it's a phrase that we just throw around that we don't fully understand. We are all called, if you would consider yourself a Christian, we are all called to be discipled. We are all called to have someone that we can walk this journey alongside who is pushing us and challenging us to know more about who Jesus is, to know more about his word, to love other people. Can I be honest with you? On my best day, I really don't know if I like people. Most times. But because of God's word and being pushed into God's word, I understand what Jesus did for me and I can't help but tell other people what he can do in their lives. So because as a result of someone showing me that, my love for people has now increased. Not because of my own doing, but because I had an opportunity to dive into God's word. Discipleship also protects us against false doctrines. Because it helps us to understand what is God's word and what is not of God. So when should anyone get up and say something that is not of God, we can say, no, that doesn't align with scripture. It's coming together. We're iron sharpening iron. We can have tough conversations about the real stuff that is happening in our lives. And someone can call us up and speak life into us. Why is it important? I've got two sub points for us. Number one is it's biblical. Um, I, I wish I had a better thing for us, but it's biblical. Duncan and I did a mission trip once. And there was a, a mission trip overseas. And he used to say this. Jesus said it. I believe it. That was it. If God says, I need to do it, I'm doing it. And I think we've made it very complicated. It's biblical. God calls us to do it. Again, it's not the great suggestion. It's the great commandment. He's calling each one of us to do it. Notice it doesn't say those who stand on stage or those who work in full-time ministry, you go and make disciples. Or those who are missionaries, you make disciples. No, it's a call for all of us to make disciples. God is not calling a select few, but he's calling everyone. The second reason why is because Jesus did it. Uh, I am currently working out. I know it doesn't look like it, but I'm currently on a fitness trend. Uh, together with my sister and my wife, we're always trying to see the best way to get the quickest abs, to lose the most, like what superfoods can we eat? Like we're always looking for the quickest, fastest way to do something. When we go on holiday, we're always looking for the best place, the most exciting things to do. In leadership, or if you're working, you're like, six ways to be productive, six ways to make more money. Here's the number one way to make an impact in this world for Jesus, make disciples. 
Jesus did it. Jesus didn't come to earth and give us the third best option on how we are to reach people. No, he gave us the best way to do it. And in doing so, he modeled it to us. Jesus was on earth. He had a public ministry of about three years. In that three years, he had 12 men who he was super intentional with. Wherever he went, they went with him. How he interacted with people, they saw. When he did miracles, they were right beside him as he did it. As Jesus was teaching, he would often speak in parables and the crowd would be confused. And when he was with his disciples, he would unpack and teach them all that the parable was. They were right by his hip. It kind of struck me the other day. I know this is quite obvious for most people, but it just hit me fresh again. The fact that we have the New Testament, specifically the Gospels that speak about Jesus, is because those 12 men were walking closely with Jesus. The reason we know about the healings is because the disciples of Jesus had recorded it. Without them recording, without them being so close to, who, close to Jesus, we wouldn't have the Gospels. The fact that we know what happened at the Last Supper, this new commandment I give to you, Jesus first modeled it for his disciples, then they modeled it for the rest of us to participate in. It's a biblical mandate, and it's also the Jesus way of doing it. Can, can I just pause? If we're saying we want to see our cities, we want to see spaces and relationships changed, should we not do what Jesus did? And Jesus says the best way to do this, the way I would do it while I'm on earth, is I'm going to make disciples. That's why go there, go for, and do likewise. Do you have family members? Do you have people in your life that you're just like, man, I really want to see them join into a relationship with Jesus? Do it through discipleship. Man, I've, I've seen this happen within our youth ministry where we encourage our young people to invite people to church because I think there's something beautiful about being in community. And then they'll come to me like, Lest, my friend finally came. And I'm like, that, dude, that's so sick. So please, like, I don't know what preach you have, but make sure it's a good one because he's here. Like, he's an atheist. Like, today is the day. And I'm like, or you could showcase who Jesus is. You could show him. You could disciple him. God doesn't say, okay, go and fill up rooms, fill up stages so people, he says, no, go and make disciples. We're so quick to bring people to church because we want to see the, someone else do it. But God's saying, no, I want to use you. I've positioned you in those spaces, places, and in those relationships specifically because I'm wanting to use you. I don't want to outsource it. So how do we do discipleship? Uh, I want to say this up front. The way to do it is, can be different. You can go on a park run together. Uh, I don't know why you do that, but you can go on a park run together. Afterwards, debrief and talk about Jesus. You could do some crocheting together and talk about Jesus. You go to a Papa Pronto, talk anyway. You can do it in any, many ways. But there's four key pillars that I believe that every discipleship relationship should have. So today, I want to share more about the pillars that should be in these relationships. And number one is this. We want to share Jesus with them. Share the word. These relationships are not just cool catch-ups. When I started doing discipleship in the early days, can I be honest with you? I'd take young people out for coffee. We'd chat about how great Liverpool is. We'd talk about the girl they like at school, what sports they want to do. And then at the end, maybe sometimes I might pray and be like, okay, cool, bro. See you again next week. We didn't do anything. We just had a quick catch-up. But when we say it's a discipleship relationship, it needs to be based around God's word. We want to be sharing who Jesus is. This is not a self-help moment. This is let's reflect on the truth of who Jesus is. So we want to open up God's word together. The second thing it says is show them the way. 
in the great commandment, it says, go and make disciples, baptizing them. Baptism is what? It's a public declaration of an inward decision. When we choose to follow Jesus, we make that moment. Uh, God sees our hearts. Our hearts are surrendered over to him. But when we get baptized, we're saying to everyone publicly, I want to live my life for Jesus. When we start showing people the way, we're saying, I live for Jesus, and I'm calling people to the standard of saying, my life is for Jesus. So we want to show them, how do we love people? How do we care people? Care for people? It's not just a, cool, you've received Jesus, and now you're done. All is good. Figure it out. It's no. Let me show you how to grow in a relationship with Jesus. So we show them the way. Point number three is this. We equip them on God's word. Our little boy, we have a little boy, he's 14 months. Um, and a few months ago, he was still not yet on solid. He was on solids, but we still had to like feed him. And I, as much as I enjoyed it, it was a tedious process of like making sure he ate. Now he's at the point where he's eating by himself. Uh, and when he eats, he has to roll up his sleeves, he grabs some things, shoves it in his mouth. It's a messy process. There's pretty much food everywhere on the floor. Some of it eventually lands up in his mouth. But when he's eating, I don't know why this is the case, but he loves vegetables, hates meat. Very interesting. And he'll take the vegetables and he'll take the meat and he'll kind of just like drop it on the floor. He'll take the meat, look at us and be like, cool, that's fine. This is what a discipleship relationship is. It's saying that in the beginning of the relationship, I'm helping you by equipping you small doses of getting into God's word. But at the end of it, I want to create self-reliant Christians that can eat on God's word for themselves. Is it going to be messy? Yes. Are they going to not get it right all the time? Yes. Are they going to have some moments where they just want to eat the vegetables, being the parts of scripture that's nice and comforting, and then get into other parts where God's calling them to things? We want to encourage them to be in both hands. But... We can't, people won't grow in it if we're not teaching them. Because here's the deal. You can easily come on a Sunday and not like who's up on stage. And as a result, close your ears off to what God's wanting to say to you and miss a moment. But when you open up the Bible, you can have God speaking directly to you. So it's important that we don't just wait for a Sunday because it could be a miss moment in diving into God's Word. But when we equip people to dive into God's Word, whenever they're in a bad place, wherever they might be, they can get into it for themselves. I love helping young people understand this. The cool thing about getting into God's Word together is you as the person helping someone, you don't always get it right, too. So what I do with my some of the guys I'm discipling is we'll read a book of the Bible together over WhatsApp. You read, and then what we'll do is we'll send voice notes or messages about our reflections on the verse we read. What will often happen, if I'm completely honest with you, is the young person that I'm discipling will send me their WhatsApp with their thoughts. I'm like, I did not read the Bible today. And now here's a young person politely calling me out, being like, I, we said we're doing this together. I've read, what are you thinking? I'll generally quickly reply with, haven't done it, but thank you for the reminder. Let's get in it together. Discipleship, you can't give what you don't have. You can't take someone where you have not been. So if you're wanting to help someone grow in their relationship with Jesus, you need to be growing in your relationship with Jesus. That's the beauty I see in discipleship. It forces us all to grow and take the next step, take the next step. The next thing is we want to, we are to serve, we want to teach them how to serve people. 
The Bible says we are to do this to all the nations. When the Bible says nations, that speaks about different people groups, different people that speak different languages, different cultures. Do you know that currently in the world there are 17,000 different people groups? In South Africa, there are 65 different people groups, of which eight, there are eight, eight unreached people groups in South Africa. God is calling us to go and make disciples of all nations. There are people within our very country that don't know Jesus. The reason I'm kind of hopping on this is because when it comes to the idea of going and telling people, I want to be honest, some of us get really pumped up to go on a mission trip and go tell other people there, I'm going to go to the unreached people group, I'm going to go tell those people, but there are people literally in South Africa that don't know Jesus. If God is working in your heart and he's calling you to go on a mission trip, please go. But if the motive is it's easier there, then I'm, t I'm calling us to check our hearts. Because I'll be honest, I find it easier to go in the mission trip because sometimes it's less uh, downside. Because I'm not going to see these people again. I said it, and cool, I can come back. I feel warm and fluffy inside. But when you stay, sometimes it's a little bit harder because you have to see that person over and over again. Answer those questions. Walk alongside them. But God is calling us to make disciples of all nations. That's what happened with Priscilla and Aquila. They were trained and equipped around the Bible. So point number two is this, now that they have been poured into, they go and they pour into others. They were poured, they poured into other people. The first, they poured into two specific groups of people. The first one is a man by himself. They poured into Apollos. Let's read together in Acts chapter 18, verse 26. And this is what it says. He, being Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogues. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Here we see as a young man, Apollos, he understood a little bit about the baptism of John. He gets up in the synagogues and he, he's going and telling everyone uh, about John's baptism. Priscilla and Aquila hear him and they go, man, he love his passion, but the way he's saying and he's missing some elements. So what do they do? They pull him aside and they have a conversation with him and they teach him the ways of God more accurately. I want you to notice the progression of that story. It's not that he was standing, speaking, and in the midst of while he was speaking, they got up and said, that's a lie. He's speaking things that are not true. It doesn't say that uh, they went to Facebook and posted about this man that was preaching and how his preaching was horrible. It doesn't say that they went to TikTok and they made comments about this man's preaching or went to YouTube and in the comment section spoke about how everything he said was bad. It speaks about they went privately, called him, and told him the ways of God more accurately. I think we live in a culture, we call it the cancel culture, that we're so quick to see someone do something that's not right and we're quick to go to social media or go to people around us and tell them, oh, this was, you should have seen what this person did. Can I encourage us that that's gossiping? That the Bible does teach us against like false doctrine and we should be aware of it. So you should be on God. But nowhere does it speak about like calling people out. God is about restoring people. We live in a cancel culture, but if we read the Bible, the Bible is a, about a correction culture. The Bible calls us to correct people. Because in correcting false teaching, we can then restore people into what God has for them. We are called to restore people. But oftentimes what we do is we counsel people and then what we do is we just leave them to continue in their ways. Or we say we want nothing to do with them. But what would it look like to come alongside those people and call them aside? Because here's what it does. It moves it away from being brave behind the screen but actually moves to let me get to know this person. 
Let me take them for coffee. Let me have a conversation with them. Get to know them. And through relationship, then share about who God is and correct their ways. That's what Priscilla and Aquila did. They corrected his thinking. It actually goes on to speak that Apollos goes and does some amazing things. He speaks and many people come to believe. There's even a gap of people being like, I believe because of Apollos. Some people go, I believe because of Paul. And Paul's like, it doesn't matter. But I just think it's so cool that they corrected his thinking. And in doing so, many people were added because of the fact that he went and spoke a sound doctrine. So we should protect against false doctrine. But the way we do it matters as well. In the way we're doing it, are we bringing the person back to Jesus? Are we loving them again? Or are we just saying we're done with that person? The second group of people that they pour into is they pour into the early church. We're going to read together in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. And it says this, The church of Asia sends you greetings, Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their home. Send your hearty greetings. Then in Romans chapter 16, verse 5, it says, Greet also the church in their house. Speaking again of Priscilla and Aquila. So we know that the early church met in Priscilla and Aquila's house. We're talking about unknown heroes. Can I talk, tell us again about an unknown, unsung way of reaching people? And that's through, the, through hospitality. I'm going to say it again. One of our unsung heroes of reaching people, not making people feel fluffy inside, about reaching people is through hospitality. 1 Peter verse 4 verse 9 says, chapter 4 verse 9 says, it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's another command given to us from God. He says, show hospitality. Hospitality in that is welcoming people in. When it speaks about it in the text, it speaks about welcoming strangers in. It speaks about welcoming people that are not our friends, people that we don't necessarily know so well, welcoming them into our homes. If you have space in your heart for people, you have space in your home for people. God is calling us to welcome people in. Why is it so important? Well, the reason is because it speaks about what we've received in Jesus. John Piper says it this way, when we practice hospitality, we become conduits of God's hospitality instead of self-decaying cul-de-sacs. The joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it does not flourish in our own hospitality to others. We should be thinking, how can I draw the most people into a deep experience of God's hospitality by using my money, my things, my home, and my church home? What John Piper is arguing here is he's saying that if we don't welcome other people in and make them feel welcome, then we don't fully understand what we've received in Jesus. The Bible tells us that we were aliens, strangers, rebellious, wanting nothing to do with Jesus, yet he comes down, dies on the cross, and in doing so, welcomes us in back into relationship with the Father. If you're looking at the cross, the cross is an example of God's hospitality towards us. That he, we do nothing, we are just receiving God's love. Piper says that if we're not doing this, then we don't fully appreciate the, the gift we've received. We are called to invite people into our homes. Because here's the thing, what happens when you invite someone into your home? They get to see the real authentic re Christianity. The unfiltered version of who you truly are. They get to see how you interact when the rubber hits the road. When it's crazy hour and your babies are 
doing backflips to get away from bath time and you just want to use some very colorful words and you're just like, I love you, my boy. And just, you get to show them and model. You get to show and model what it means to, as a family, spend time around God's word. You get to showcase and model what it means to love and serve other people. It's one thing to say it, but when you invite someone into your home, you're inviting them into your space and you're allowing them to see if you truly believe this thing that you, you say you do. And in doing so, we get to show them who God is. The question I want to ask us today is, who do you need to invite out and who, is it, who do you need to invite in? Who is God calling you to invite into a relationship? And who's someone that maybe you need to take out? I understand for some of us, you might not have a home. For some of us, like if my home is just, it was just a little bit bigger, then I'm in. Like my home is very dirty right now. But as soon as we clean it up, I just want to let us know these are all excuses. God's not calling us to excuses. He's calling us to welcome people in. With your time, with your money, with your home, invite people in. And I love this. I want to speak for a second into inviting people into our church home. Because like Sai says, this is not the hotel of God. This is the house of God. That we're all called to partner together in this house. That when you call yourself a partner in city, we partner to build people up. I want to ask, when was the last time as a partner of this house where you saw someone standing by themselves and you went and you said, you know what, I'm going to call them into a conversation. I'm going to get to know them. Can I be honest with you? Malcolm and I were chatting about this between gatherings. I much prefer being on stage than going and speaking to someone. It's quite intimidating for me. This, to some degree, feels normal and comfortable. But the thought of going and having a conversation with someone is challenging. Because here's the deal. I can say something right now. And I can't see your faces. Thank you, lighting team. I can't see anything. But when I'm in a conversation with you, cool, we can see and we can engage. And between gatherings, I had an opportunity to speak with someone. I was like, you know what? Tell me your story. Tell me who you are. And it was so cool. They spoke about their life journey. And before I knew, we were speaking about faith and how trusting God through different seasons is important and how God's been protecting him over him and his family and he's trusting God for a job for him and his wife. And I was like, man, when we get to have conversations with people, we get to know each other and not know how I can pray for him specifically versus just like, God bless everyone in this room. I get to engage specifically and say, God, we're trusting you for a job for this family. We get to get into each other's mess and get to know each other. We get to encourage each other through God's word when we invite people into our homes. I know for a lot of us that when the response song starts or the band gets up against, it's a great time to duck out of church because then we get to beat the traffic as we leave. Instead of staying and meeting someone and having a conversation with them. I'd like to encourage you today, if you're someone that usually moves off, why not stay and meet someone and Simply like that. I have a few handles for us. I didn't do it in the earlier gathering, but I feel like this gathering is going to be great with it. How about we greet each other? Like, just greet each other. I feel like COVID has created this weird space where we kind of do waves and we, we don't know how to handshake or what to do. And we're quite respectful and that's awesome. But I feel like we've lost the art of connecting with each other. We kind of wave and we, as we walk off, we kind of go about our day. But I'd like to encourage us today. What if we greeted people? Like I did earlier, go and mingle and meet people in church. Then actually have a conversation with them. Get to know who they are. Remember what they say and connect. Maybe you might find out you like some people in church. Why not go to Bubble Pronto to invite someone over for dinner? But let's get to know each other. Because here's the deal. 
I'm not going to live up to all that God has for me because there are people in this room who need to call out some stuff in me that can only do that through relationship. We want to be pursuing, helping each other be all that God's called us to do, but we can only do that in relationship. We can only do that when we get to know each other. Let's not do the general wave. Uh, we'll catch up. We'll catch up. No, let's catch up now. We'll do that coffee. Let's do it right now. Let's connect with each other. I think COVID's really robbed us of that. And I feel like it's important for the church to come back to it. Because the world out there is very hostile. Surely the church can be a place where people can feel at home and feel welcomed. The next thing we see that Priscilla and Aquila did, they were willing to risk it all. Let me read for us in Romans chapter 16, 3 to 4. It says this, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Can I just pause for a second there? Priscilla and Aquila went from being discipled by Paul to now going making disciples of other people. And Paul goes on to say, my fellow workers. And he says, who risked their necks for my life to whom I only give thanks, but also the church of the Gentiles give thanks as well. We don't really know what Priscilla and Aquila did that Paul is speaking about risking his neck, but how cool is that? That Paul would say of this couple that they were willing to risk their lives to see other people come to know Jesus. And I, I was kind of struck by this thought, are we willing to risk our lives to see other people come to know Jesus? And if I'm completely honest with you, I don't know. Because I don't think we're willing to risk our comfort to see other people come to know Jesus. Like, I, I, I'm okay to step out if it's not going to cost me anything. I'm okay to step out if it's the way I want it done. But God, if you're calling me to go to those people, go to that place, it's going to cost me. I don't know if I'm going to do it. But again, I'd like to encourage us that if we are not willing to lose comfort and put comfort to the side, then again, we don't fully understand what Jesus did on the cross for us. Because dying on the cross was not comfortable at all. Dying at the cross, he risked it all. He lost his life. But thank God that he's Jesus and he rose three days later. But it, costed him, it cost him his life. It wasn't comfortable, but he did it for us. And again, when we say we're Christians, it means to be like Christ. Discipleship is ultimately the idea of becoming more like Jesus. If we're wanting to be more like Jesus, then surely we should risk the way Jesus risked. If I may be honest with you, as I was prepping this preach, uh, I kind of shared it with a few people in my life. And as... They gave me, I was like, what do you think? They're like, yeah, it's, it's pretty basic, eh? It's pretty, pretty simple. <laughs> that, that, that really hurt. Okay, I'm like going up to some other people like, what did you, like, what did you think? Like, great, like, oh, it's very, very practical. It's very really like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's nice. It's like, oh, nice. Um, God, like, I kind of walked away and I'm like, God, I really want to challenge your people. I really want them to be drawn to a relationship, but practical and nice. Like, I feel like I've missed the mark and, I'll be honest, God's Spirit kind of convicting me that, yes, this is simple. It is practical. And yet my people still don't do it. What we often do in church is we take this simple and practical message of go, love people, make disciples, and we make it complicated. We want to do deep dives to fully understand it. And then what we do in that is we so remove ourselves from the message and the thing we're called to. And then we're like, oh, it's just too complicated. So you know what? I'm just not going to do it. It's just like, ah, oh, this is too much to understand. So you know what? It's just safer for me not to do it. 
So we create the roadblocks between us and doing what God's called us to do. And God's saying, it's, it's honestly not that complicated. It's pretty practical, but I want you to know that I will be with you. There's a famous preacher. His name is uh, Francis Chan, preacher, author. And he's got an illustration along these lines. And I'm going to use my son for the sake of the illustration. If my son were a little bit older, older and he could clean his room. Uh, and I said to him, Jethro, which is his name, uh, I need you to go clean your room. And then an hour later, he comes to me. He's like, Dad, guess what? I remember what you told me to do. You said I should clean my room. And then you, uh, he's like, you know what, Dad? If you want to, I can even quote it in Greek for you if you'd like. Dad, I don't know if you know this, but uh, in an hour's time, a few of my friends are going to come over. We're going to sit together and really unpack. What did he mean when he said I should clean my room? I say it very lightly, but this is what we have done with this simple message. We have sat around trying to figure out truly who and when, how. God's saying, just go. I've intentionally put you in spaces, places, and relationships. Again, like we saw with Aquila, God moved, and Priscilla and Aquila and Paul, God moves all things so that we would be at the right place at the right time to have people pour into us. But then God will also move us along so that Priscilla and Aquila could point to other people and God's calling us to point to other people. This is not something that we outsource. There's no six-week program on how to become a great disciple and you're like, cool, I'm done with discipleship. I can tick that box. No, discipleship is about getting into people's mess. It's about loving people the way Jesus loves them. It's about risking it all to see others come to know Jesus. Simple, profound, so it's time for us to do it. This is not something that is reserved for the elect, for the special, for the extroverts, introverts. This is reserved for God's people. This is God calling us all to do it. I'm going to ask the band to join me. And here's what I'd love for you to do. Everyone in the room, if you don't mind closing your eyes for me for a second. Maybe you're new to uh, this church thing. You got invited in. Once again, it's so good to have you. Or maybe you're someone in this room that uh, the cross and what Jesus did on the cross is a great Easter and Christmas message. And that's kind of where it stays. I want to kind of share this, what Jesus did on the cross with us again. And I really want it to pierce your heart afresh today that through sin, we could not be in relationship with Jesus. We could not be in relationship with God. As a result, we're enemies of God, hostile towards Him. Yet Jesus, leaving the comfort of heaven, came down, called us into relationship by dying on the cross for us. As he bled on the cross, his blood spilled out for us, buying us back, saying that the world can't have you because you belong to me. That yes, you've messed up. Yes, there's shame. Yes, there's guilt. But before the cross, I've removed it as far as the east is from the west. And I'm saying, I want to be in relationship with you. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing that you did, you did none of it. All you do is you respond to the gift of God's grace and love for you. And you know what Jesus says in response, when we respond to him? Now love me and love my people. Jesus is calling us to go and tell this news. If you're someone that needs to respond to like, just Jesus, I need you. Respond in that way. But if you're someone in this room that, man, you 
love Jesus, my follow-up question is, are you making disciples? If you say you love Jesus, who have you welcomed into your home recently? Church, it's time for us to be serious about the call. God's calling us to go. So I've, as you reflect, I really want you to think about this. If you someone that have ne- has never taken the step of baptism, you've never publicly declared your faith uh, before people through going in the bathtub and being raised again, why not sign up for that? But I want you to think as we reflect, who are some people in your world you can invite right now to that moment? Some people that you can invite in and say, hey, I want to live my life with Jesus, but I want you to come in and I want, to hear, I want you to hear the good news of what, who Jesus is. Maybe you're someone in this room that you are not yet in a discipleship relationship. I want you to be praying, God, who is someone that you have set aside to pour into me that can challenge me so that I can become all that you've called me to be? And then if you're someone that is not yet pouring into other people, it's time to pour into the next generation, other people. Pour what you know into their lives. And what I'd love you to do right now is I'd love for everyone to please stand with me. We're going to sing in response. And what we're going to sing is we want to speak the name of Jesus. And I love the song because it says your name is power. That through the name of Jesus, addictions can be broken. Through the name of Jesus, fear fleet. Perfect love casts out all fear. Through the wonderful name of Jesus, there's no other name like it. There's a broken, hurting world outside of these gates that needs to hear us as God's people speak Jesus in our nation, speak Jesus over people's lives. God is calling us to speak His name because His name is power. His name is life. It's not us that does the saving. We just step out in obedience and we get to watch God do amazing things in people's lives. Let's sing together.